0: All right, we're in James. So the last time I spoke to you, we're speaking was uh, working my way through James, and um, so I know it's hard to remember back that long. But glance at the first chapter of James. I'm going to start in the ninth verse. James one, ninth verse. But the brother of humble circumstances is to Glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because, this is why, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted up by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when the lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Lord God Almighty, thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it's alive. Lord, we pray that you would plant it deep in our heart, that it would grow, and that it would flourish there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It isn't money that's the problem. The main problem is the love of money. So if you're somebody you know who is uh, very wealthy, if you're someone who has a lot of assets, who has a lot of money, that's okay, that's all right. Just keep it in the right place. You need to you need to have the proper perspective with your money. You need to not worship your money. You need to not trust your money. Your money can be gone overnight. A lot of rich people have had that experience. They think they're set. They think they're secure. They, they've they got the cars. They've got the yachts. They've got the investments. And they say, I'm set for life. And then all of a sudden, they wake up one day, and it's all gone. They have nothing. So they put their trust in the money, and the money failed them. On the other hand, somebody who's poor, they're not going to trust their money, right? Somebody who's poor knows that They might have money today, and they may not have money tomorrow. They don't put their trust in money. So they're not going to put their trust in money because they know that it's not trustworthy. So they put their trust in who? They put their trust in God. You know that God owns everything in the world? You know that God owns all of the cattle? The Bible says he owns all of the cattle of the field. The Bible says that God owns all of the land. You might be paying a mortgage to a bank for a little bit of land. But you understand you don't own it because the bank owns it. But the bank really doesn't own it. God owns that land. And if you have need for it, if you have need for it in some, at some point in time, God can provide that. That's not a problem for God. You might have a need for healing, and you go to the doctor, you put your trust in the doctor, but you know that true healing comes from God. God can provide that. It's about having perspective. It's about understanding that you cannot worship money, you cannot love money. Paul wrote to Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, For some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows because of money. Look at the last couple of words. They pierced themselves through with many sorrows because of money. Do you know anyone who has really a lot of money who doesn't really have a lot of problems? A lot of times it's family problems. A lot of times it's relationship problems. A lot of times it's just general unhappiness. You know, we hear about a lot of famous people, and they kill themselves because they're so distraught. And you look at their life and you're thinking, what could possibly be wrong? They have money, they have fame, they have influence, but they have a hole in their heart. And they get things in the wrong place, they get things in the wrong perspective. So um, having, having money is not a solution to problems. James meets this problem head-on by giving us some practical advice, both to people who are rich and to people who are poor. He recognizes that riches can be a snare not only to the rich, but riches can be a snare to the poor as well. Because the poor look at the rich and they think, if I just had that kind of money, my problems would go away. Not realizing that by multiplying their money... They also multiply their problems. Money doesn't solve problems. So it's a contradiction, uh, it's a contradiction um, to what our practical thinking would be. So the teaching of Jesus is that life's deepest needs can only be met by him, by Jesus. And he wants to provide our practical needs. He knows that we have needs. He knows that we need food, that we need clothing, we need shelter, and he wants to provide it for us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's about priorities. So I've said a lot of times, you've probably heard it before, but there's kind of a a hierarchy of priorities in our life that we need to uh, adhere to. That is to put God first. But God first put our spouse second. So men, you put your wife second. Women, you put your husband second. And then you put your children, because you're responsible for caring for your children. And then you put everyone else. You put your job, you put your friends, everyone else comes down here. And last but not least, you can put yourself that gives you about five minutes in the shower to yourself because you've put everyone else first. There's something magical that happens when you do that. When you do that in your marriage, when you put your spouse ahead of yourself, it's a magical thing, I promise you. If you can do that, your marriage will flourish. It's about loving each other. It's about having love and having it in the appropriate place because When a husband is putting his wife at the top of his list right under God and a wife is putting her husband at the top of the list right under God every single one of their needs is fulfilled. You're going to have one happy marriage if you do that. Try it out. Try it out one of these days. And Money doesn't even come into the issue. You know this works for poor people. It works for people who have money. Money, money is irrelevant. In fact, I would say that probably a whole lot of money can be an impairment in a marriage rather than uh, a benefit. And I didn't mean to get off on, on marriage there, but um, it's about having the right priorities. It's about having things in the right position. Understand that. Uh, understand that when this letter was written... That the Christians had literally lost everything. They were living uh, under Nero. They were living under uh, tyrants for rulers. They were being hunted. They were being burned through the city like torches. They would be stuck on a stake, dipped in uh, some sort of a flammable tar or something, and used to light the the streets. They were hiding in caves. And that's, that's when this was written. They had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had given up everything to continue being uh, a follower of Jesus. And so it's in this context that he's addressing the poor there. So in verse 9, James gives some words of encouragement. He says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother. So, in other words, those who find themselves in humble circumstances... Or a low position, take pride in the fact that a high position awaits them in the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's comforting to me those words that are uh, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Because I've certainly been last for pretty much all my life. And I'm like, well, you know, God must have something really good for me when I leave this world. And so, in a way, you know, even though even though I'm happy to be alive, you know, I'm happy to be alive and be, you know, working in this world, um, I have something to look forward to. I don't really fear death. I know there's something really great on the other side. It's a whole lot better than here. And so we have something to look forward to. We can say, well, we're poor here, but when we get to heaven, we're not going to lack anything. We're not going to lack absolutely anything. It's going to be um, beyond imagination. The word they're used for glory comes from the root word, which means to boast. So that's to to brag about it. That's what James is encouraging us to do. To rejoice, to glory in the fact that our lowly state is temporary. We might be poor here. We might be a nobody here, you know. We're so low that when we walk into a fast food place, we get ignored. That low. So, that's temporary. We're going to move on beyond that. God has invited us into all the riches of His kingdom. And we are assured of a high position in the kingdom of God. We're loyal subjects of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And though sometimes life is difficult, there's a day that we will cross over and we will be into the promised land. You know, the Bible is correct when, uh, when it says there's one who makes himself rich and yet has nothing. One who makes himself poor and has great riches from Proverbs. Jesus said that same truth in another way. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's in that context that he encourages us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You know, you can do that. You can lay up treasures in heaven. We're encouraged in our life right now to uh, put some money into some investments, something, uh, so that when we get old and we can't work anymore, that we have something put away for that. And, you know, a lot of people have seen that totally evaporate into nothing. They put money into it. They put, you know, they put uh, stuff into investments, and it's gone. If If you put an investment into heaven... If you put an investment into heavenly things, it's not going anywhere. I don't care what kind of an economy have, we have. I don't care what kind of a virus comes along; it's not going to affect it. And so, you're better off. You're better off putting an investment into heavenly things than you are an investment into earthly things. You're going to leave all that behind. Even if you have a huge investment, even if you have a huge um, Estate and uh, you know, like the rich man that we read about in the Bible, um, he said, I have huge barns, I'm going to tear them down, I'm going to build bigger ones. And God said, You wretched man, this day your soul is required of you. He's looking forward to years of lavish living, he's looking forward to years of having put away. Uh, huge amounts of money he's going to enjoy it you know you can just imagine he's he's going to do all these things with his grandkids he's worked his whole life for it and that night he died so it doesn't even matter if you do put it away doesn't even matter if you do have everything in line for your life in this world It, it can be gone in a moment you can be gone in a moment So God has invited us into the riches of his kingdom. That won't pass away. So Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I'm not saying that it's wrong to put away uh, an investment for retirement. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I'm just saying that your tomorrow is not guaranteed. So Rich people, don't delight in your wealth. Don't, don't find joy in your wealth. James wanted the poor people to take delight in their spiritual position in the kingdom and not complain about their natural poorness. Uh, a brother who is in a humble circumstance, a Christian who is in poverty. Sometimes, sometimes we get depressed. Sometimes we get resentful. You know, we're like, gee, don't I deserve a car that actually starts? But James is saying, don't grumble about that. Glory in the prominent position that God has given you, because he's given you a prominent position. It has nothing to do with your wealth. It has nothing to do with your material ability. So God has elevated them as believers, and it doesn't have anything to do with their natural circumstances in this world. Paul suggests that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And you know, if you've been a Christian very long, you know what that means to you to have the Holy Spirit. You're walking with God when you have the Holy Spirit. You're walking with God, and God is giving you directions as you go through your life. As you go through your day, you get those little things. I don't know what to call them. Uh, you know, some, sometimes people call them an unction. Well, I don't know what an unction is. That's a really weird word that we don't use much anymore. But it's, a, it's, it's more than a feeling. It's a presence. And it's like God is telling you in, not in your outer ear, it's not an audible voice, but he's telling you somewhere deep in your spirit. He's directing you what to do and where to go. Sometimes you'll get that. Sometimes you're in one place and all of a sudden, you have this overwhelming feeling that I need to go and be somewhere else. And I'm telling you, many times, many times when I've had that happen, there's a reason why I needed to be somewhere else. And when I ignored it, then I'd find out later, oh, I really should have been there. Somebody was in need. Somebody had you know, something going on in their life, and they needed some support. They needed some words of encouragement. So the down payment is the Holy Spirit. That's that's a down payment. If you're a Christian, you understand how, how huge it is to have the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And yet it says it's a down payment. You know, a down payment, okay, if you put a down payment on a house, what are you going to put down? A couple of percent? You know, I can afford to put down maybe 2%. So that means that 98% is yet to come. So that's God's promising us something really big, something really huge on the other side in the kingdom. So we don't glory in our riches in this world. Riches in itself is not bad. I'm not telling you to go out and liquidate everything you have and give it to somebody. You know, some, some people do that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying keep it in the right place. Keep it in the right place and keep your attitude towards others in the right place. It's really easy for people who have a lot of wealth. They're driving a really nice car and they look at their brother who drives in the parking lot out here. You know, black smoke's coming out the back of his car and it sounds really horrible. And uh, it kind of stutters to a stop and the brakes sort of work. You know, he could, it's easy for that person with the money to look down on the poor person. Don't do that. Don't look down on people who don't have what you have. That's not a godly attitude. So we need to keep our brothers in the right place. You know, when we come before God, he doesn't see what we have materially. He sees us, he looks at our heart. He sees us from who we are in the kingdom. And that person who drives in in the clunker, God may see him in a higher position than the person who has a lot. So, if you have more than someone else, don't look down on them. Jesus is, or uh, James is using kingdom talk here. Um, sometimes we refer to it as Christianese, and I, I don't really like that because um, sometimes people don't understand that. Um, but that's that's what he's doing here. What we what we really have, what we really need to. Uh, realize is that worldly riches pass away while God's wisdom, while God's riches last forever. And having having possession of, of kingdom treasure is way more valuable than having, having a treasure in this world. It gives people who have something in this world, it gives you a false sense of security. Maybe you have a lot and all of a sudden you get news that oh, you need to go into the hospital. You have a terminal illness. And it's going to take every single dime that you have to pay the bill. And you know that's true. Um, We read about a blooming plant. Blooming plant in Isaiah 40. Blooming plant out in the field. It comes up in the morning and it's beautiful. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. And by about 2 or 3 o'clock, when that hot sun, the sun like what we're having right now outside, that hot sun hits it, and the flower just wilts. That's the comparison to earthly treasure. That's the comparison to earthly money. Is It's beautiful for a while, looks great, it looks like it's going to last, but it doesn't endure. Pretty soon, something comes along, and it's just gone. So Those verses warn you about um, the rich man, the rich man that's going to fade away. He's going about his business just like normal. He's going about his business like it'll never end, and all of a sudden, he's just gone. Possessing wealth without spiritual wisdom brings just emptiness. And you know people like that. You know people who... You know, they got a lot and they're influential, um, but they got a drinking problem. Why do they have a drinking problem? Because they have a hole in their heart. They don't know who their friends are because everyone's after some money. They can't even really trust their family because family members come out of the woodwork that they've never heard of, that they've never known, and um, are always wanting to dip into it. They don't even know who they can love. You know, they want, to have, they want to have a husband or a wife. They don't even know who they can love because they don't know if, if that person loves them for them or if that person loves them for their money. They have nothing. They're, they're empty. He compares the riches to the flowers of the field whose beauty is temporary. The riches are temporary. Riches are beautiful and attractive for a moment, but they won't last. Jesus warned us about the dangers of trusting in riches. In his parable of the sower and the seed, he describes a seed that fell among thorns, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things came in, they entered in, and they choked out the word so that it was unproductive. You know, you can be a Christian, you can be rich, but if you don't keep your wealth in the proper perspective, that's exactly what happens. You know, you uh, pretty soon you're not, you're not coming to meet on Sunday because you have things you need to do. Uh, you don't fellowship with other Christians because you're too busy. Your business takes all of your time. Um, you, don't, you don't even really see your family all that much because you're working. That's the deceitfulness of riches. That's the cares of the world. That's desires for other things. Riches can be really deceitful, Um, Jesus spoke about the deceitfulness of riches, but he also talked about beware of covetousness. You know, if you're poor and you look at someone who has a lot of wealth, it's pretty easy to covet what they have. And, uh, you know, Pastor Mike has a joke. He has a joke. He says you have to learn how to covet like a Christian. He says you, you say, you tell them, or you say... Uh, I want you to have something better, so I can have what you have. That's coveting, like a Christian. That's a joke. Okay, that's a joke. Nobody's laughing, but it's a joke. But it's very dangerous to covet, because what happens is it gets in your heart, and pretty soon it it, it takes hold in your heart, and it's it's sort of like a sort of like something growing in there, and pretty soon you can become angry. Because you don't have what they have. Pretty soon you can become angry at God. You can say, God, I'm I'm serving you. I'm putting in all this time. I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm in church every Sunday. And, and I serve there. And I do this and I do that. Why don't I have more? But that's not what God promised you. God never promised us riches. You know, if you turn on the TV and there's a guy on there telling you that... God wants you to be rich, turn the TV off. He's lying. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where God said he wanted us to be rich. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where he said he wanted us to be healthy. If you find it, let me know. But I haven't seen it. What I read in the Bible is that we're going to be persecuted, that we're going to be poor, that we're going to suffer. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I've certainly had trouble. That's, that's the truth. That's what I read in the Bible. But what I read there is that God says he's going to get us through it. Not only that, he's going to use those things. He's going to use those trials. He's going to use those difficulties to turn us into something beautiful. That's, the, like, that's where it talks about the refiner's fire. When gold is purified, it goes through a heating process that's extremely hot. And impurities are taken out of it. They're removed. So eventually, you have essentially pure gold. By the time you leave this world, if you're walking with the Lord, and if you're doing what He's telling you to do, by the time you leave this world, you will be spiritually pure. You will be something... That God will take joy in, in having in his presence. There will be a celebration when you walk through the gates of heaven. Assuming there are really gates of heaven. But that's the process that we go through. God never promised us riches. God never promised us health. You know, we had had a lady call in a couple days ago. And her brother had passed away. He was like 30 years old. She couldn't understand why God would allow him to die. She couldn't understand why they prayed for healing. And he wasn't healed. How could God do that? And I told her, I said, you know, we all have an agenda that God has given us. God has given us a job to do or jobs as the case may be. And God's doing a work within us. He's doing a work within our heart. And when that's done when when all of that's complete we're done in this world. We're finished. I always tease the people in my Bible study because there's some older people in there. And I say, you know, God must have a lot of work to do in you because you're still here. You know, whereas somebody who's younger, God's God's done with them. So I I kind of give them a hard time. I'm like, you know, what is it that you're not doing that you need to do so you can leave this world? You know, because that that that's uh that's kind of how I see that. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or not. I better study it, I guess, before I say that again. But So Jesus concluded that story. He said, He who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That's the essence of the teaching in James. He told those who are rich... Not to be foolish, don't trust in their wealth, but be rich towards God. Lay up treasure in heaven. I've heard a story told, and I don't know if I should tell it or not, but I guess I will because it came to mind. A lady died and um, got up into heaven, and they're taking her. they're taking her through sort of a mediocre part of town, you know, houses that are average and they go through and the houses get bigger and bigger and bigger and fancier and they keep walking and they 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 keep getting bigger and more beautiful and and then pretty soon they start diminishing again and they're still walking and they come down the road to kind of a little hovel kind of a little shack and she said she turned and and looked to the to the angel and she turned and she said well How come I'm not in one of those big ones? You know, I was in church every Sunday, and and I did this, and I did that. And he said, well, this is all the material you sent ahead for us to build you a house with. That's the essence of putting up treasure in heaven. It's to serve God. And I want to say at this point, I want to explain something, in case you get the wrong idea. Serving God is what God has put in front of you. Not Not everybody's job is to be a pastor. Not everybody's job is to be a teacher. Sometimes the job that God puts in front of you is a really simple job. I would say for parents, and I am a parent, but for parents, one of your primary jobs is your children. And don't think of that as secondary. Don't say, oh, that's just my kids, I have to serve at the church. Uh Uh-uh. No, remember on that hierarchy that I told you guys about, your children are right after your spouse. They're ahead of other people. They're even ahead of your church. Because if you serve in your church and you neglect your children, you've got it wrong. You've got it backwards. Taking care of your children, teaching them, um, making sure they grow up in a godly home, making sure that they're being taught the bible being taught about the lord being taught what's right and wrong that's elemental that's foundational that's a part of your job that's saving up treasure in heaven if you've taken care of your children so serving serving god does not always mean that uh you know you have to have this job or that job sometimes Sometimes what is needed is to be a true servant, which is that you walk around. I'm going to use church as an example because we're in one. But uh, you walk around and you see that the garbage needs to be emptied, and you just empty it. That's serving God. Maybe picking stuff up off the floor that you see. Or maybe you see that the windows need to be cleaned, and you clean them. You know there's a problem there's a problem sometimes people who have a a higher position they want to look down on people who are the cleaners i'm telling you god doesn't look down on the cleaners he doesn't and you shouldn't either don't elevate your yourself above people who are serving in menial positions because god doesn't remember when it said the first will be last and the last will be first that person who is pushing the broom right now is going to be first in the kingdom of heaven. And someone who is in a position of, uh, you know, maybe being a pastor or something, they better keep themselves humble. Better keep themselves humble before the Lord. Because if you call that first, then I don't want to be last in heaven. I would rather have a menial position of service and be first in heaven. So don't look down on people who are doing menial service. Humiliation, verse 10. That verse, humiliation, means to be made low. Describes a brother who is lowly. So it's a tremendous insight to understand that the brother who is lowly has glory with the Lord. He's going to be exalted with the Lord. That, that insight leads you to a basic truth that James wanted us to learn. James is contending there that the rich and poor live in the same manner with the same priorities for living, whether you are rich or poor. It makes no difference. We're all the lords. We're all the lords, and when we walk into a place like this, he sees us all as equals. There can be somebody who is essentially homeless, and they walk through the doors, and the clothes they have on are all raggedy, and you know their hair looks like it hasn't been combed in a week. God doesn't see them any different than He sees any of you. He sees us all the same. That's one thing I like about this church. There have been churches that I've been that I've been pastor in that um, I would have had to worn a suit and a tie to be up here. And I've honestly said, I've said this, and maybe one of these days I'll have the guts to try it. I've honestly said, I think I could come up here and I could deliver a message in shorts. I think I could do it in shorts and a t-shirt. And one of these days, maybe I'll try it. My wife made me dress like this today. <laughs> she wouldn't let me out of the house with anything else on. But I assure you, I didn't pick this out. So one of these days, one of these days, I'll do it in Shorts. Because I think I could. Because this church, in this church, I believe we're more accepting of people than many other churches. You can come here dressed in shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt you, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. A t-shirt you you picked out of the cleanest dirty pile and you're okay. You know? You're alright. I love that. I love that. So, James, James, then he moves on, James moves on, and he says what the, uh, the essence of it is, is to live in contentment. Isn't contentment wonderful? When you're content with where you are and what you have, you don't feel like this burning desire to go, you know, buy a camper or something. You're just happy with what you have. Maybe you just have a tent. Maybe you don't have anything at all, and you're like, dude, I'm happy, I'm just happy with what I don't have. You know, if you've got a car that starts and you've got food uh, in, the, in the refrigerator, what else do you need? That's a wonderful thing. Contentment with what you've got. And you know, if you're a rich person, if you're a rich person and you've got contentment, it's not hard for you to give it away, is it? You can see somebody who has a need and you can say, I've got the means to take care of that. And you just do, because you're content and you're secure with God. you know that God's got you. you know that God has it covered, and that's a wonderful thing. What a blessing, what a blessing to have contentment. He concludes there <clears throat> he concludes there uh with uh, Philippians four. Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, both to be full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer. And Paul wrote much of the New Testament in prison. He was in prison when he wrote it. A Roman prison was not a pretty sight. A Roman prison was brutal. If you were going to get food, somebody else had to bring it to you. They weren't going to feed you. If you wanted clothes or, or a cloak or something, somebody else had to bring it to you. That's why in one place Paul asked, I believe it was Timothy, to bring him his cloak. Because he was cold. And yet, he could have that attitude. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me now this verse is written in the context of paul's experience and i know that you can buy all kinds of things with this verse on it you know and we tell the kids who are running in track you can do it you can do all things through christ who strengthens you keep in mind this was written by paul when he was suffering when he was being persecuted I don't have any problem at all with walking into a situation and saying I can do this because God's got it for me. Hallelujah. Absolutely. But just keep in mind when this was written, Paul was being persecuted. He was in a Roman jail. So to trust the Lord for perseverance, to serve him, to keep a right attitude, to keep things in the proper perspective, overcoming the persecution that we have as christians and i i believe i believe that in coming days or years that christians are going to receive more and more persecution we've hardly ever had any real true persecution in the united states but i believe that's going to change i think what we see is a shift in attitudes towards Christians um, you you probably know that right now churches in California are fighting to keep their churches open because the state is actively trying to keep them closed. That's the kind of thing that we're going to see more and more. praise God we live in Idaho you know um, sometimes I've wondered you know I've wondered, why is the radio station here in Twin Falls? What a weird place to be. We're not close to anything. We're not close to any large city. We're just stuck out here in the middle of the desert. But maybe that was intentional. Maybe God did that intentionally to give us protection. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the rich need to be delivered from the snare of trusting in their riches just as much as the poor do in thinking that uh, that riches meet all of their needs. God supplies our needs, you know. God does. When we have a need, we don't see we don't see the answer to it prior to the need, you know. For our car, we know our car is on its last legs. I, I, you know, um, I was driving uh, a few months ago. I was driving uh, a really old Ford Expedition that had a lot of problems, and it it was it was going to cost way more than the thing was worth to repair. So I drove it and I drove it. I kept watching. I'm looking for something to replace it with. I, I kind of knew what I wanted and I knew what I could afford. And I just kept driving it, and the things getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, um, online, I, I saw something I thought would work. And, but it was a little too much money. So I went down there and I offered them what I could afford. And they took it. And it's a pretty decent car. It's got like 130,000 miles on it, but it's a decent car. So I drove the Expedition home, and I parked it, and I was thinking, you know, I'm going to sell it, because somebody probably could really use this, someone who can fix it, and they'd be really glad to have it. So I went out there about a week later, and I was going to start it, because, you know, you want to keep starting your cars, or else they kind of go bad. The thing wouldn't even turn over. I thought, oh, the battery's dead. I'll I'll go get a, you know, I'll jump it, and and started, the thing wouldn't turn over even with jumping it. You know, it's like it's like God kept that thing going until I had a replacement. And then it was dead. I said, praise God, you know. He kept that thing running until I was ready to replace it. What I'm saying is that just basic needs that we have, God will provide. God will provide it. It's not easy for us as Americans, and particularly men, because we're men are fix-it kind of people. You know, if there's a problem, tell your man, he's going to fix it. It's hard for us to depend on God because we're so independent. We want to do it ourselves. And I'm one of the worst. You know, I'm like, "Ah, I don't need help. I'm a man. I'll do this. I got this." You know. And then uh my wife comes along and reminds me that I' not really that good, you know, at fixing things. So, so there's a couple of blessings. I'm gonna I'm gonna run over these blessings and then and then I'm gonna wrap it up um, if I can get the, uh, find them here on my list. Um, the inner reward of blessedness. Blessedness occurs all the time. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 3, it's called the Beatitudes, the blessing. Talks about the quality of resting, of joy in the Lord. The blessedness of a person who endures trials. Um, You know, having a trial is not necessarily a blessing in itself, but what comes out of it is a blessing. And God always ensures that when we come through a trial, we come through better than when we went in. You know, there's there's a blessing, it's a gift from God. It's called the Crown of Life. This crown does not refer to you know a crown that goes on your head. It's that garland wreath that you've all seen you know of Roman victors who have won some sort of a contest. It's that thing that goes on their head. God rewards us for being faithful for being faithful, and it's not like a it's not like a test in school you know where where you get graded you know ninety is an A and 80s a B, and 70s a C, and you're just praying for a D, some of us, you know, praying for a D to get through. No, it's not like that. He, he rewards us for being faithful, just being there. Sometimes, sometimes God just needs someone to just be there. It's not that you're good, you know. It's not that, uh, you know, when, when Mike asked me to fill in for him to speak, I'm not up here thinking I'm good. I'm just praying I can get through it that's what he's looking for you know it's like god's looking for someone with a pulse will you show up cuz if you show up god can use you god can get what he needs done so that's that's the crown so uh enduring trials for his glory you know we go through tough things i'm telling you if you're over 25 um if you haven't gone through some tough things already you are you will it's inevitable. It's part of this thing called life, you know, and the first few things that you go through like that, you're just crying and whining. You're like, why, Lord? Why am I going through this? That's called life. God gets you through it, and God uses it. And when you come out the other end, it's like you've been through that refiner's fire. You're being purified, enduring trials for God's glory. It shows that we love God. Um I'm gonna wrap this up here because somehow or other I got sidetracked and didn't get through everything. So we're going to in a few minutes we're gonna we're gonna pray and then we're we're gonna sing a song and we'll be dismissed. But I wanna say if you've never made a commitment to live for God, or maybe you need to make a new commitment, maybe you made a commitment a long time ago and you just need to redo it. Maybe you've drifted away from God. Maybe, maybe your service has slipped in some way. Um, I invite you to pray with me. You don't really have to do anything else. You know, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you'll be saved. There's, there's not really a process to go through. There's not a ceremony that you have to go through. Really really committing yourself to God is, is a condition of your heart. Sometimes we all need a heart adjustment. Kind of like an attitude adjustment. But it's a heart adjustment. And, uh, and you can do that right now. We need a renewing of our mind. You know, having a life that's committed to the Lord is not something that's reserved for good people. You know, sometimes people look at Christians and think, "Wow, they're really pious and self-righteous." And I don't really want to be that kind of a person because that's probably a pretty boring life. But that's not what it is to be a Christian. I've heard people say, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into a, a church because I'm so bad the roof would fall in on me." No, the roof doesn't fall in on anybody. You know, God specializes in taking people who are at their very worst and lifting them up out of that. And you don't have to get your life cleaned up first. You say, well, when I quit this dirty habit, then I'll do it. No, God works really well on those dirty habits. And you don't have to have that cleaned up. And if you're somebody who's walked through the doors today and you feel like you want to sit in the back row so that nobody sees you, That's okay. That's all right. Because you're willing to put your life in God's hands. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. Put your life, put your trust, commit yourself to serving him, and God will fix everything else. You know, if you've got a life committed to Jesus, everything is possible. Everything is possible. God provides wisdom. God provides empowerment. So if you have fallen, if you've experienced some failure, maybe you made a mess out of your life, there's hope. There's still hope for you. You need to know that a life committed to Christ isn't trouble-free. God never promised us a life trouble-free. God said that we're going to go through lots of trouble, but he gets us through it. He gets us through it, and I'd a lot rather go through a troubled life with the Lord beside me, Than I would going through a troubled life with no one beside me. And that's kind of your choice. That's your choice. So, I'd ask you to stand, if everyone would stand. If you've been thinking about making the Lord your Savior, I want you to stop thinking about it. Time to make a decision is today. I'd ask you to close your eyes. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I submit my life to you. I submit my heart to you right now, Lord. Forgive me for the life that I've lived that's not pleasing to you, Lord. Lead me forward into living my life in a way that is pleasing to you. Take control of my life, Lord. Bless me indeed. Lord God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives right now. Lord God, we invite you to work in our life. We ask you to use us in your work here on earth. And if you prayed that prayer, God bless you. and Welcome to God's family. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And give you peace.